idea after we wrapped recording a now uh, lost episode, or I guess a little double episode, that if you guys mm. want to relive this past week, you can just uh, go back an episode. But um, Malcolm, you had the idea of challenging me to a friendly chess game after we yes, wrapped sir. recording for the last episode. So yeah, I thought, what the hell? I mean, it's it was a little late, but you know, I may as well. I haven't played chess seriously at any point in my life and um i think the last time i would have probably would have been any sometime in fourth grade so i figured out what the hell i will go into it with no knowledge of how to uh how to play and i mean apparently according to chess.com i think i did end up having one missed win meaning there was a point in the game where i could have turned it around and put malcolm in checkmate so I think what this really says, and, you know, it means you should never prepare for anything in your life. I think mm. if you just you just go in and you just do what you feel is best, I'm sure you might have some opportunities to slip away, but at least it will be a very fun story about how, you know, I almost beat my, my Pokemon simp friend in a friendly chess game after we finished recording our Marxist podcast. You sound like Justin Trudeau. I mean, I'm. I don't have the hair, and I. No, can't but really... th- th- that seems like the ruling philosophy. No, because the thing is, right? Like, I used to be from my age, maybe so good at chess, right? I was the best in my elementary school, best in my middle school, and then when I got to high school, I kind of stopped playing. I kept watching chess online. I knew about chess and things like that, uh, but I hadn't played, um, and I got really rusty. And so now that chess has blown up again, more on that in a second, all my friends knowing me to be the guy who knows about chess are like, you should totally teach me how to play chess. And no, no, it's horrifying. It's a horrifying prospect because what if I lose? Like, I think statistically I kind of did, sorry to say, kick Declan shit in. Oh, no, like, like, look, I had one missed win and Malcolm, you had about eight. Yeah, Just like to that's that the thing. In perspective. First of but all, I, I had again, eight missed I, wins. But I, second of all, like even though I did, he still had he could have beat me, and that's that's a horrifying prospect to me. Because so, well, it's because I played without any sort of strategy, and it 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 definitely threw you for a loop a couple of times. Because at some stage in in almost any game, there's a way that you expect your opponent to play, and so in something like yeah. a two D fighting game, or you know, to the realm of video games, where I'm more well versed. At some stage, you expect how the enemy is going to play, and there's a certain sort of set of plays in any given game that will be what's called a cheese play, where you the whole thing about it is that you won't, if you knew about that your enemy was going to do it, you would be able to easily beat it, but because you don't know that it's happening, it will beat you almost every single time. So yeah. if you're like if you're ready for it, you can defend against it, and if you're not ready for it, you know. But well, that's that, the thing. That requires that requires your opponent to understand the cheese play that they're making. Now, imagine if that opponent has no fucking clue what they're doing, has probably a history of at least six major concussions, and has just finished recording a podcast and is very uh, amped up and not thinking very tactically. The prospect that there was one missed win should cause great shame for you. It does. No, it does. And the thing is, like, it was really funny because if anyone here speaks chess language. He started with, like, his first, he was white, he started with the London, and then he didn't develop his bishop. Um, 
I mean, which was really weird to me. Like, yeah, you immediately threw me for a loop. Anyways, I will say that I have been watching lots of chess recently. Sounds like um, you need to develop some bitches. Ouch. My bad. My bad. Ouch. Keep going. <laughs> um, I've been watching a lot of chess recently um, because there's that big uh, internet streamer chess tournament. Uh, you know, so I'm the one in the podcast because I am a degenerate homosexual. I'm the one who's allowed to make the homophobic jokes. Um, I just like I, I I will stop short and I will not necessarily flag Malcolm in, but. You know, it's it's that's, like you that's run the football to the goal line and then you give it to me and let me get the touchdown. Yeah, because it would be inappropriate for you to. It would be very, very wildly inappropriate for me. Yes, to those but things. you can laugh at them definitely. Anyways, so there are several types of gay in this world, right? I am a Pokemon gay, um, and I don't know. I just watched her get her shit kicked in by um some poker player in a chess tournament. But I think that there is a kind of an esports connection here leading from the chess into this. Because uh if you're American, I know about forty percent of you are, um well your president is a gamer. G A Y M E R gamer. I mean, I think um finding out that Joe Biden is a Luigi main is a horrifying example of the sort of uh, Irish Italian unity that will sort of bring down the Puritan empire that is the United States. Okay, so think I about think... it. Think about it. Ireland and Italy, two countries in Europe, right? With annoying diaspora in America, associated with the color green, and they have a lot of opinions about the north. I mean, look, the difference that... That unity is horrifying. That is like it's, you know it's how uh, you know how Gina that... you know how Gina Carano got fired for posting that meme that was like if we stand up and their little game is over. I think yeah. I, I just want to make like those except instead of being like horrifically anti-Semitic, we just make them like very like anti-Irish and anti-Italian. Like I think that was probably like one of the highlights of of like eras of racism in American history. What I, was okay, I think, you like, better be careful what go, you say next. <laughs> going back and you know seeing those like yeah no no Italians no Irish uh, on like job listings or whatever. I think. Um, you know, when when people do those edits of like, oh, this is what they took from you, and it's just like some fucking 3,000-year-old statue, I want to make a couple of those edits that's just like, this is what they took from you, and it's just like a like blatant anti-Italian and anti-Irish racism. All right, Mr. Lovecraft. Whoa, no. I don't have any cats. Okay. So um, we're, we're not, yeah. I will tell you two, differ- two differences between Irish people and Italians. First of all, Italian food's actually good. Okay, three differences. First of all, Italian food's actually good. Second of all, um, the Italian Americans are nowhere near as annoying as Irish Americans. And third of all, uh, when they're hungry, uh, Italians actually know how to fish. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Just fish, lol. <laughs> oh my god. We're gonna get, like, Hibernian Defender, um, you know, screen name, um, 
the Thatcher Whacker in our fucking Twitter DMs and like 15 minutes after the episode goes live, just like seething about how, oh, it was it was actually a genocide orchestrated by the Brits, which is, you know, a matter of historical contention. And I'm sure, Malcolm, you have some very strong opinions on it. It was a genocide. It was not orchestrated by anyone. Sort of like the Bengal famine, it was caused by racism and policy failure. It was not a systematic and deliberate attempts to wipe people off the face of the earth like you would see um in you know against slavs or in the holocaust or in the armenian genocide like the type of stuff you see in the 20th century back to what i was saying about you know joe biden being a luigi main and mario kart i mean i think that's our first red flag that he's sort of like sundowning because you know you you realize that you who the fuck picks Mario or Luigi in Mario Kart? Like, let's be honest here. So I haven't played Mario Kart in a good five or six. I'm years. always, I'm always a, I always went for Bowser, or Donkey Kong, Donkey. Kong I like because... Bowser. I like Princess Peach. I don't know if that's bad. Cause like, no, like none of them are bad picks. It's just like if well, you Princess pick Peach Mario... motorcycle specifically. If you pick Mario and Luigi, you're just being boring. And I think like this is just another indication that his mental state is failing because those are the only characters that he recognized. Like I think. He would see Donkey Kong and get a, you know a little bit angry because he wouldn't he wouldn't recognize um, that ape, and so I think you know him him going for Luigi is just a, a very dismal sign of things to come. However, thank God there's some kind of normalcy in the White House, and by that I mean Joe Biden. I, I guess, hang on. Talking about the Valentine's Day display. Uh, well, there was that, and that was hilarious. We can get to that, but no, Guys, I'm talking... Joe Biden's so normal, she put cardboard heart- hearts on her lawn. No, I- I'm talking about um, the internet reacts to Jill Biden's scrunchie, which, like, what? she was out at, like, a, you know, one of those incredibly gentrified supermarkets, and I guess she had her hair up in mm-hmm. a scrunchie, and so everyone was like, oh my god, guys, she's so normal, Melania would never do this, she would send someone else to do it. Like, and I think at some level, this is kind of what we all deserve. I mean, you know, we, we hopped on late to the uh, the podcasting bandwagon, so we don't get to, you know, get angry at every little Trump thing. And we, and we also don't get to make fun of people getting angry at the Trump thing. I think this is just some sort of, like, smoothing us over and, like, preparing us for the you know oh that that's nice she's wearing a scrunchie oh i i remember those and you know you know what i saw the other day things as you know climate change becomes irreversible and there's no hope at environmental legislature that will you know mean anything and people are going to keep dying of covid but hey you know what at least the first lady wore a scrunchie when she went out to buy her groceries and you know what i saw the other day this is what us wonks deserve. We don't deserve any good content. Very true. Got, I saw we, an, an article in um, one of those, I don't know, it was Pink News or Clarity or one of those, one of those, you know, stupid neolib uh, Twitter gay quote-unquote news sites um, saying that unlike Melania Trump, uh, Jill Biden is the, sorry, sorry, Dr. Jill Biden is the oh, my bad, my bad. queer icon we all deserve. First of all, I never asked for a second of all. I will tell you, again, as as a queer, I will tell you that Melania Trump, and I think I mentioned this to you, is a ice-cold, very pretty, very fashionable 
gold digging model. Okay? There is nobody who gays would love more than Melania Trump if she wasn't married to him specifically. If her last name wasn't Trump. Yeah. Like she she probably will be the last she will be the last cool first lady. The only cool first lady. Yeah. I mean well, I don't know. I don't think that you're being fair to Eleanor Roosevelt was fine. Yeah, no, that's what I was gonna say. Like Eleanor Roosevelt, I was just racking my brain to think if there was any like you know how those historical figures that everyone like loves to, you know, talk about, you will always have something like, Oh, but by the way, they were a eugenicist and then if you mm. try and be like, Oh, but what about this person? Someone will always pull that out to dunk on you. I was just trying to rack my brain to see if there's anything like that. You know, we're we're doing cancel culture on people from Yeah. I uh oh I saw someone trying to cancel uh Orwell again uh for this I mean, was really because, funny because this is a, a podcast promoting upholding and defending Orwellian thought yes. um I'm I think we now have to you, like you know how there's all those um there's those weird like you know what kind of takes someone's gonna have if they have that one picture of like young Stalin as their Twitter profile picture. Yeah, it was one of those type of people. I, I, have I someone... think there's another, there's another, I think we need to become those guys, except it's just that one picture of George Orwell. The Very one true. where his, That's a good his hair's kind of going everywhere, and he's just kind of looking a little shocked. I think we need to have that as our profile picture, and we just, like, we'll have the the most, like, you know, anti-Stalinist and just annoying like british socialist takes i agree well that's always me anyways but so this was was a stalin defender and they were trying to criticize orwell this is really funny listen to this they were trying to criticize orwell first of all for apparently being racist and second of all for being homophobic i won't deny that orwell was homophobic i mean he was middle-aged in the 1940s yeah i mean he it's and it's britain i mean they are Already, Among, yeah, okay. For, for but many also, reasons, let's, 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 let's think about this, okay? In debate bro terms, well, not debate bro, because it's actual form, in formal debate terms, this is what we call weighing, okay? Let's look at the consequences on either side of this argument between Orwell and Stalin, okay? First of all, Orwell was not a racist. He was uh, specifically anti-racist. But on his side of the he was very on, on good. Side, at, he was very good at decentering himself. Yes, yes. <laughs> He did a on Orwell's side, he even if he was growth. a racist, and I will admit that he wrote that Paul Robeson was anti-white, which today would be taken a bit badly, that he wrote some books and some essays, whereas Stalin, right, decossackification, deportation of the Crimean Tatars, the fucking doctor's plot, okay? And yes, Orwell was homophobic, so what did he do? He wrote some books, he wrote some essays, and on Stalin's side... Uh, recriminalizing homosexuality with a punishment of three years in a hard labor camp. Like, I don't get how these people can go after Orwell for apparently being racist, even though that's not true, and being homophobic, when their big hero literally put gays in, in labor camps. It's because they just, they got bullied by, like, the conservative and, like, they, it's not, because you become, a, like, one of those annoying, like, resist libs at least people in our generation. I don't know how far back this would extend, but you become one of those annoying infographic people by getting bullied by the conservative, like the the barstool guys in middle school. Those you guys are so cool. You become a barstool guy by joining the wrong Xbox Live party. 
And, you know, mm. you become a socialist when you were kind of left alone and maybe you were, you know, a little lonely, but you weren't like picked on, picked on. And then you become one of these fucking weirdos if you were if you got bullied by both the liberals and the barstool guys. And by barstool, I mean, they they went on to become, you know, people who follow barstool on every social media platform. I don't mean they were consuming barstool content in middle school. Right. But I think you become one of these weird Stalinists by getting bullied by everyone else on the, the political spectrum. And so you're just like, oh, well, you know, it, it was Stalin that was the guy to take it to these to these stupid libs. And, you know, he he got rid of the, the conservatives to, of the aristocracy. And, you know, I think it just is a weird manifestation of that. Or you're just a loser and you don't really re, you don't believe in anything. You just like to say, oh, well, anti-imperialism. You know what's really funny, though? All the weird uphold Stalin people on Twitter would be the first to go in the Great Purge of 1937. I mean, I think uh, I would... That's I not, would like, take... funny, like, haha, people, political opposition being shot. It's just ironic to me. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you put me in charge, you know, again, we are still accepting donations for um, some sort of military force. Um, I've... Raytheon has stopped returning my calls, so I'm I'm trying with uh, General Dynamics, mm. but um, I'm trying to whip up some sort of uh, investment capital for creating the Fail Sun Socialist Republic. Um, and I think you know when when we were talking about Justin Trudeau earlier, I think um, upon reflection, he might be a good figurehead to keep around if we want to make this into a yeah. reality. Well, again, that guy, his whole career as prime minister has just been him somehow surviving unsurvivable political scandals yeah and i think you know and stuff like his go-to party trick being him being able to fall down a flight of stairs and not hurt himself in french it it just like he i think he embodies these sort of um i'm still thinking up of some snazzy name for the ideology but um i think failism might be a good way to start or a socialism with failure characteristics. So, you know, when people say that socialism failed, we can say, well... Socialism it, with Arabian Nights characteristics. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we'll just... When we, uh, you know, take over Myanmar, we, we sort out the things with the Rohingya. I don't know. Just put me there. Uh, I'll handle it. Uh, no yeah. big deal. And once we wait, get wait, that... Wait, wait, When you say sort out... I'll, I'll handle it. Like, I'll, I'll intervene. You'll just deal with it. the military. I mean, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Like, right. put me there. I'll, I'll handle it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I well, think what we have... Wasn't that new Rambo movie they made in, like, 2012, like, actually about him stopping the Rohingya genocide or something? That would own, if that were true. It might like, have been, I like... I kind of an... think that, or at the very least, it was, like, coded that way. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, um... and, like, you know, I think the, the Fail Sun Socialist Republic, um, it has its basis in theory, and by that I mean that Marx was probably, like, the original Fail Sun. I mean, he yeah. was gonna marry. He was married to a Westphalian and just like hung out with Engels all the time, and just. Whereas his wife was a Westphalian and Engels owned a factory. By the yeah. way, speaking of failures, is this gonna hurt too much to talk about? Oh, it's like it's a fresh wound. Luckily, I was. Um, I'm not streaming every single uh toronto maple leafs game anymore but um so i would like dear listener to paint a picture for you okay you are a fan of the toronto maple leafs 
The Toronto Maple Leafs are a team that is not one that was once the greatest team in the NHL. They, they still are the greatest team. It's just they're well, wait, 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 wait. They're, they're just rebuilding this year. They were once the greatest team in the NHL, and they haven't won a Stanley Cup in fifty four years, and they've been rebuilding ever since. Yeah, it's a long process. It's an arduous process, and it's a painful process, and. Over time, it's sort of become part of the Leafs' identity, the Leafs' fan identity, to be a loser. Sort of like how in Bolivia, part of their national identity is based on the fact that they have lost every single war that they've ever fought. As a Leafs fan, and I am too, and part of your identity is losing with pride uh, and honor. And it's a very common thing, for example, to wear a paper bag with holes cut out for the eyes on your head to a Leafs game. But things are different this year. This well, yeah, I 2021 mean, it, season, like... the Leafs get a division, they get an all-Canadian division, and they start to do well. They start to rise to the top, and over time, they become the best team in the league. And you're starting to think, huh, well, this is good. This is really good. And so yesterday, there's a new game. Toronto against Ottawa. And you look at the scores, you look at the stats, and you see that Ottawa is the second-worst team in the Canadian division. Easy win. It should deepen the gap between the Leafs and Montreal, who are the second-place team. And things are going well. In fact, things are going exceedingly well. Soon enough, however, the however, Leafs have racked up a 5-1 to one lead over the, the Ottawa The Leafs are Senators. up by more than three, and the opposing team has one goal. Any, Leaf, any historian of, you know, any Maple Leaf thought, whether you, you know, consider yourself a Sundinist a Clarkist, um, an Imlachist, really whatever sort of school of Leafist thought you you tend towards, you know that this is a bad idea and it's a bad situation for the Leafs to be in. Now, I have a very funny story that I don't know if I've told on the air, um, but I hold myself personally accountable for the Leafs choking that one game against the Bruins mm. um, because you remember that they were going... So they the Leafs are going into... Game, game seven, the third period, and they are up four to one against our bitter, bitter rivals in recent history. I mean, there's more history with the Canadians, but recent history is bitter, bitter rivalry with the Bruins. Yeah, like the they Canadians are, up... are annoying because they're French Canadian, but yeah. the Bruins are Irish. It is. It is. Yeah. The the only like thank God there isn't like a an Italian coded team, or else I think. Um, my I would have to turn off the NHL. I, I okay, think hold, I on, hold on, hold on. My revulsion. I got the Paisan pass from from frequent guest and friend of the Pod Sawyer. Did you get the Paisan pass from frequent I'm, guest? And... I'm pretty sure it apply. I I think it's like a license. You know, like you know. Mm. You okay, don't, it's just it's not like a I you know like a liquor license sure. for like a restaurant. I'm pretty sure it, it works the same with podcasts and the Paisan pass where you can get it that when you're on the air with me, it applies. Okay, I yeah, just want to exactly. make sure that when you're making these jokes, you know, because. For me, I'm I'm ethnically Irish Catholic, so I let you make these jokes, and for that, like we got the I got the pass, and so I was just right. making sure that it's safe. Yeah, so I think we're I think we're clear, but in in any case, four to one into the third period of the night that I would then come to ruin that my my father has never let me live down, and so we're going into the third period. The puck drops, and what do I say? There's no way we can so, lose. So who are the Leafs playing in the second round? 
Oh, Jesus Christ, I cannot believe you said that. This was the game that they would then go on to lose 5-4 to four with Brad the fucking... Ra- if Brad Marchand is the Pete Buttigieg of of hockey in more ways than one, partially because he looks like a fucking rat, and also because, you know, like Pete Buttigieg, he crushed people's dreams for a better future. It was his mm. job to come in and make sure everyone knew that things cannot be better. You know, whether it's not having to literally go bankrupt whenever you go to the hospital in the United States or, you know, the Leafs finally getting a cup. It doesn't really matter. Either way, they're responsible for um, a lot of very sad nights for me. And, you know, l- coming into this game, 5-1 to one against the Sens, I figure, oh, there's no way they can lose. There's no way. You need and four yet, goals to bring it into overtime. They would need lose. four goals to bring. They, yeah, they would. They four goals out of a very underperforming, on, at least on the offensive side, Ottawa Senators. There's no way they do it. But they tied it up, and then the Leafs miss an open net in overtime. Ottawa capitalizes and they score. Now, there is, uh, from what I hear, some sort of military tribunal being led by uh, Chairman Matz to investigate the Leafs' upper office and, you know, root out the revisionists and, you know, the the traitors of uh, Sandina's thought. But I like Austin lo- Matthews. We lost to the fucking senders. I mean, Matt's, Matt Sandina's cool because yeah, he, you know, he was sort of the face of the team the last time that we were anywhere near the playoffs, and then we... The Leafs went to the basement for another 10 years. Then they had another couple, you know, first round exits. And then, you know, we're, we are where we are now. Who knows? We're doing but yeah. well. Hey, we're still, we're still ahead of Montreal by a lot, by, lost, two, by a game and a half. We lost to the fucking Senators. I'm sorry. We, like, all of the Leafs' upper office must be um, reassigned to the, I, I think the Toronto oh, Maple Leafs. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs would make a great sort of banner national hockey team for. The you're UPS talking about you're talking about doing a great purge in like 1942. 1944. I absolutely am. I absolutely am. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But it's if not desperate times. Like yeah, if okay, I gr- we lost one bat one game that we should. If won. I graduate without seeing a, a Toronto Maple Leaf Stanley Cup, I will actually I will personally oversee this purge. All right. In other Canadian news, um, the federal government is weighing some sort of a some new gun legislation, which um, I think we we talked about this. Yeah. Okay. So it was first talked about in the wake of the Nova Scotia shooting, which. Yeah. So, you know, I just want to. Yeah. So basically what happened was there was a big mass shooting by an RCMP informant in. Uh, Nova Scotia, worst I, I, well, mass shooting in Canadian let us, history. Let us let us be crystal clear: it is not public record that the mass shooter was an RCMP informant. But to sort of run through what is public record and what has been heard through RCMP through uh, other anonymous RCMP sources, the money that he was able to withdraw, hundreds of thousands of dollars, would have only was directly from. I, a, a cash depot in a method that the RCMP uses to pay off their informants. Whether or not he was an informant is not known. 
However, the way that he was able to get the cash is characteristic of RCMP, op, yeah, RCMP sort of assets, not, you know, sort of less on the books operations. And, and he idolized the cops and stuff like that. This is this is all according to an anonymous RCMP source. I believe who spoke Well, we've seen CCTV, CCTV footage of him making the withdrawal. Anyways, right. that's beside the point. So um, after that shooting, which was awful, it was a terrible, terrible shooting, um, the Liberal Party uh, and, and the Trudeau regime um, put out a sort of a, a quick ban on about 1,500 assault style weapons. Assault style has no legal definition in Canada, but it's sort of the language that's being used. It's mostly like AR-15 variants and stuff like that. Um, and the so ones now that have moved... plastic, the ones that have polymer furniture and look scary to people. Sure, I don't know much. I don't know very much about guns. Um, now, what's happening is it's being sort of brought into a much more official law. With like, they actually want to pass a bill. Um, so, yeah, this includes bans on fifteen hundred assault style weapons, optional buyback on all of them. Um, thank God, no handgun ban. I'll talk about why I'm very against this bill later. Um, but if it's okay with the provinces, it will allow municipalities to ban handguns. Now, uh, in Toronto, that's might be a fight between the provincial and, and municipal government, but that's something that, that Toronto is going to want to do. That's something they've been pushing for for a long time, uh, a handgun ban. So, um... But basically, yeah, this is putting into a much more secure law because it's basically just updating the list before of what guns weren't allowed. Now it's putting it into law. Um, so essentially before, if a new prime minister came in, they would have been able to just re-update the list and take them off. Now they'll have to pass another bill, um, which is political capital, much more political capital than simply updating the list. Um so that's what's going on. This is recent. This is all happening today uh, as we record this episode on the 16th of February, 2021. Um, what do you think about it? Before I get into my thoughts, because I've got some numbers I mean, and stuff. Okay, so we've had a sort of discussion about, you know, there's no Second Amendment here. And so we don't have a right in the same way that the United that Americans do to have firearms. But, I'm, you know... I think anyone that is trying to use the um, the under no pretext Marx quote to sort of push back against this, I go outside. Yeah, like it. First of all, if you're that much of an orthodox Marxist, yes, please just go outside. Just interact with people who are not on Twitter. Um, I, I think like as you know, as much of a cop out as it is, go and it's ask. Two meters of, apart, though. Yeah, go and ask one of the victim, one of the victims, like the families of the victims of the Nova Scotia shooting, what their take on this is. Okay. Right? Like, this is, it's something that's being done in response to a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of, like, proliferation of weapons like that, we have at least a better chance of sort of containing it than the United okay. States is. I mean, at this stage with the United States and gun ownership and manufacturing and everything. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, I want to get into that. You're never second, going yeah. to get every gun. Okay. And I think Fair in enough. Canada, I'm not, I'm not saying we're going to be able to get every gun, but I think 
having gun control legislation means that people at least here can be better protected okay so I, that's that that's my opinion i mean i think yeah i'm against gun control law. legislation can be used in order to you know unfair as long as it is applied with the you know with a sort of equal mind of as long as you go through these hoops you can own you know something to protect yourself with mm-hmm. i think that's yeah, that's so the language that's not... been coming out of, of the government is about hunting and sports shooting, not self-defense. Right, so they're I think they're that u- the government using... actually is against guns for self-defense. But that doesn't really... Like, I think no, that's... No, that it's, it's not a very valid argument either, I think, to argue the purpose. I mean, at the end of the day, it's you're flinging hot lead. Even if you say it's for training, you're training to shoot people. Okay. So I think... You know, obviously the the hunting and sport element of it is there, but I think a lot of people have them because they envision a scenario in which they'll need to use it. And fair enough, but I think you should be able to prove that you're not a liability with it. Okay. And I think yeah. that would, so- you know, in, in an ideal world, it would be here's a sort of background check system, but having passed that and understanding sort of the having very clear cut and dry laws on things like self-defense i also imagine you'd want ongoing checks well yeah yeah of course and i think the ideal legislation would be you know pass pass the these background checks and these evaluations and we'll give you whatever the fuck you want Mm. like not like you know not like we're not going to give you fucking rocket launchers but like there's no reason to limit things like magazine capacity or fire you know or fire modes or anything like that at the end of the day you can still shoot somebody with mm-hmm. you can you can kill someone just as dead with a semi-automatic versus a fully automatic weapon and i think limiting oh well you need to pass you know pay all this money and pass these screenings for a fully automatic weapon but not a semi-automatic weapon is not allocating the resources where I think they would be best used. Yeah, well, I mean, fully automatic weapons are basically illegal here already. Yeah, you, this, you, you know. yeah, obviously, no, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, you so, should be, I, I don't think they should be. Yeah. As long as you are able to, you know, if, if you can prove that you're not a liability and that it would truly be in the interest of self defense, or, you know, if you wanted to go overthrow a South American country. Mm. Um, I, th- I think the the RCMP could find some sort of loophole for you, right? So but, I, um, I'm not in favor of this. I mean, I'll yeah, I know. Yeah, um, I'm not. Ne- a, a, you know, and uh, uh, workers must be armed type of person. I'm not even like you're definitely more Marxist than I am, um, but I'm not necessarily against controlling weapons ownership just as i'm not really against ownership i just i want to talk about some numbers here um so in 2007 to 2008 fiscal year uh canadian border police uh seized 751 illegal firearms um coming from the u.s now of course we only have one border in the world well two technically and they're both with the u.s Um, i think we should have at least three or four um with alberta and quebec i think we should just let them go no, okay, that that is an interesting episode that we can talk about another day. I think that that would get us a little bit cluttered. Um, Quexit and Quexit? 
Jesus, that's all, those both sound awful. Oh my god. Anyways, so we have a pretty porous border with America, right? Like, we don't do a lot of checks, a lot of stuff gets through. And so the fact that we managed to find 751 illegal firearms means that there are probably a lot more that we're actually getting through. Thousands, okay? According to the superintendent of the Windsor Police Department, if you don't know Canadian geography, Windsor is right across the border from Detroit. Um, there it's is where, a quote, It's quote, where all the Detroit college students come to drink because, you know, they can. Two years earlier, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a quote-unquote pipeline, a gun pipeline from the United States to Canada. Why? Because it's more expensive to buy a gun in the black market uh, in Canada than it is to buy on the light market, uh, the legal market in America. So you can buy a gun for 300 bucks in America, bring it across the border, smuggle it across the border, and sell it for 3000 in Canada. Um, people will also, yeah, so they'll, the people will illegally or legally buy weapons from America and illegally resell them here for hire. In fact, the overwhelming majority of, of, uh, crimes in Canada, gun crimes in Canada are, are done with illegal guns, and, uh, again, the overwhelming majority of those are done with illegal guns smuggled into America. I mean, it's, America. It, it's like, it's like British gun crime. I mean, it's, it's just the issue of smuggling them in. I mean, it's a very common anti-gun control argument that what about the good guys with guns, right? What about the Yeah, legal, I don't care about good guys with guns. What about the legal law-abiding citizens that will be able to do That is what I do care about because yeah. I think that we do not have a problem with legal gun owners. What we do have a problem with are two things, okay? We have a problem with our border, um, which goes beyond guns. It goes to drugs as well, and I can talk about that in a second. We have a problem Believe with our border. Me, folks, we've got so many people coming into Canada. They're just trying to sell their guns to our people. They're gonna they're gonna come to your neighborhoods. They're gonna sell the guns to the kids. Believe me, folks. I think this, I could be ironically. a great. I could be a great Canadian Trump. You could. You could. I think, but um, I think Kevin. O See, I think if we could have Kevin O'Leary have some sort of like yeah, special, well, he's never some. Well, look, he's he's got the the questionable past. Well, he's got um, his wife literally killed somebody on a boat. Yeah, well, he no. got arrested. You think his wife didn't take the fall for him? Oh, she one hundred percent did, but it still ruined his chances. Thank no, goodness. I think it strengthened his chances at being Canadian Trump. Are you kidding me? Oh, Canadian Trump, maybe give Canadian him, Prime Minister. Give him a couple years. No, give him a couple years. He'll be he'll be Canadian Trump. All right. And then that will propel him into into like obviously give it twenty years, but I think we'll be staring down a you know I, I can't think of a funny enough sort of liberal Canadian figure who would be comparable to fight against Kevin O'Leary in twenty years, but Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a bright future, isn't it? Yeah. Anyways, so what I was gonna say, yeah, we have we don't have a gun problem per se in Canada. We have a border problem. We have uh, an organized crime problem, and both of those things are completely separate from law-abiding gun owners. And so, like, I don't see the point in punishing them, but also even if. Like, I just don't think this is effective. It's an effect. I don't think it's an effective way at stopping the problem, right? Like, does this mean we need more police on the streets of, like, organized crime centers like Montreal, Hamilton, and Toronto? No. 
what it does mean, not necessarily, maybe it does, but what, what it really means is that we need more police resources being spent on organized crime and the border. Uh, potentially even a dedicated RCMP task force on the issue of American guns being smuggled in, right? Um, but it does mean 100% that we need a stronger border, right? Like, we border one nation, as I mentioned, and it's the source for a biggest crime problem. And it's also the source for another big crime problem, which is the drug trade. I'm in favor of decriminalization of all drugs, but part of that involves stopping drugs being imported into Canada, right? Like, this is not some Trumpian Mexico thing, because it's actually a real problem that we actually have. Um, so... That, I mean, most of the, most of the, most of the fentanyl that makes it its way onto Canadian streets, and this is something that's sort of very, very personal for me, yeah. but most of the fentanyl that makes its way onto Canadian streets is from the U.S. pharmaceutical market. It's not from, you know, people, it was a very weirdly common thing around the, the sort of big kickoff of the fentanyl crisis was to blame it on China. Yeah, and how it's China manufacturing the cheap fentanyl, but it's not getting shipped to Canada. It's getting shipped to the U.S. because again, that's where the pharmaceutical money is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then that makes its way into Canada and it gets cut into whatever because again, it's very very cheap. It's you know synthetic, and so, I, I'll tell you from experience, it's potent. Yeah, so it, I'm not you know yeah, I'm the, not an opioid addict. The issue like it's it's a u.s border problem it's not it sure as hell isn't a fucking china problem and no I think no it's, no and it, but it, it's but a also government to me, like, it's a government taking care of its people problem yeah and i think but i think that like even if you did want to take away assault weapons from law-abiding canadian gunners i don't agree with that because precisely because they're law-abiding and if we hadn't like we don't need an america style solution because we don't have an america style problem um, but I, and so I think that it's sort of separate. I think that this, this problem that we're having and specifically the weapons that Gabriel Wartman used in Nova Scotia were illegal weapons from the United States. So I just think that, first of all, I don't think it's the right thing. I don't think it's fair to legal gun owners to do this to them. But second of all, I just think it's not going to stop any of the problems we're having. Because the problems that we're having are not the fault of legal gun owners. So I'm not, I think that this is basically putting lipstick on a pig. I think that this is a nice aesthetic thing so that the Trudeau government or the Trudeau regime can look like they're doing something. When in reality, uh, they don't actually have to, you know, knuckle down and lose the political capital of saying, okay, well, we actually need the police for something. And I will be the first to admit that maybe it's a little bit hypocritical of me to say it, but like we do. It's a policing issue, not a well. It's issue. it's a border security issue. It's not. It's like a border a, a, security we, issue, yeah. and maybe it's a pol where police resources are allocated. It, it, I think it's. I think like enforcing sovereignty is a much more noble goal of something like a police force than you know catching the sort of the end result, which is going into you know and arresting people for having the guns. Yeah, I, I think, think that, that if we ever our police to make sure that we're not America's, you know trying to think of a nice synonym here but america's bitch when it comes to issues like this when we have to you know at, at some level stop the flow of illegal american guns coming to canada and then people shoot each other with them yeah and i think i think that maybe it's just more of a police priority thing if we spent less time policing communities of color and more time working on organized crime which is uh actually often 
yeah, Italian. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got in this country. I'm not. No, no, that, nothing but. to do with the previous bit there, but um, I think I've mentioned but, how yeah, you've got every every in, few years in Hamilton, in Hamilton like, some yeah. random spaghetti shop blows up. I mean, it's it's. I think. Oh, and it's French Canadian. Once once companies. I sell out once I sell out literally all of my morals and I just like go on to become a soulless academic. Um, I think I'm also gonna get into writing screenplays for, or like TV, or like maybe even TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to write some sort of like crime drama about Hamilton. So it'll just be like The Sopranos, but like worse in every way because like the stakes will be lower because you know it's in. Well, no, Hamilton. you can make it good. You can have like Jeffrey Rush in it. Yeah, but I just. I think that would require more effort than I'm willing to put into a TV show that I'm only talking about because of a bit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fair enough. I think I would just I would just write it as a bit for the podcast in 20 years just to, you know, when there's someone listening back trying to uh, cancel me for, you know, not supporting, uh, I you know, not being enthusiastic about President fucking beto o'rourke for ruling over all of no North no America. who's it gonna be who's it gonna be it's gonna no it's gonna be the poem lady oh yeah no that i i think that that she will send me to a forced labor camp at some point for having tweeted about bernie sanders i think can you imagine liberal gulags oh my god they would be so cool Are you, like so you would like you'd be let in and there would just be like your cell would have like a, a constantly refilling hydro flask because you know it'd be far enough in the future that we could do shit like that so constantly refilling hydro flask um a sort of book of affirmations that you can say to yourself when you get woken up to an industrial buzzer at four in the morning mm-hmm. it's like i am good enough i am good enough i am strong enough i am valid i am valid so you can just you know you you hype yourself up to really just like feel that sort of self-actualization yeah and really just sort of get you know amped in the workplace so and i think you know it wouldn't be the sort of brutalist uh soviet style of gulag i think it would be more like have you ever seen pictures of like oh here's google's local office in fucking oh no oklahoma it would be like an open like so like some of the labor that you would be tasked with is like you know, you'd be responsible for taking a slide from your cell to where you have to, uh, you know, lay yeah, train tracks. Y- you would have to, yeah, or you'd have to, like, you know, they would put you in charge of vetting for any problematic content. Except part of the sort of cruel punishment of it would be every 15 seconds or so, a porn ad like pops up in your open concept workspace that almost everyone can see. And if anyone sees that the porn is open on your desktop, they will report you and you will just get sent to like a different department that is even worse. Yeah, that's fine though. I think, but I think, you know, we would love to see what our, our you know, the. There's the another political... reason why Montreal is shit. I would love to see what the political science minds in, uh, you know, my undergraduate classes could come up with in terms of uh, punishing people who, who do a no growth. Um, who, who maybe even do like a, a colonialism or an imperialism. I, we yeah. need to get our nation's best and brightest uh, ahead of the curve on this. So I think I will be starting the, uh, the liberal gulag club at my institution. And Malcolm, I encourage you to do the same. Yeah, I'll do that. So speaking of best and brightest uh, of our nation, this is a little short thing at the end. We haven't talked actually about COVID-19 in a while. Well, no, because it, 
you know, it's, it's been normalized. Boring. Just, yeah. Okay. I know. You go out, you put your fucking mask on whenever you go inside. You oh, well, I'm wearing two masks now because Dr. Fauci told me to wear two masks. Right. I'm actually, I'm wearing three. No, it's actually good though because I can get like a, a thinner, more rigid one with like the metal strips in it and then like an actual heavy cloth mask underneath so that it doesn't fog up if I'm walking in at noon and I need sunglasses. I mean, I just, I wear, you know, I wear my, my surgical mask. I, I, I wear it whenever I have to. I wear it if I'm like going in a more crowded part of town. It's, you know, it's, it's not like a huge deal for me. I, we have to wear it because the gym's open on campus. Mm. So we have to wear it for working out. And even then it's not that bad, but yeah, no, it's not bad. I mean, I'm just, it's so fucking like it's not even registering anymore like it's just like a reflex i feel like at some point once you know everyone's vaccinated and we're like back to normal if that ever happens i will reach in my pocket or like pull at my arm where i, I sometimes keep it and like go and i think on everyone's a, a gonna keep, mask. keep wearing masks i think that's gonna be a thing like they've uh, been maybe. doing it in east asia for forever i think it'll be yeah but that's more like oh you're sick you wear a mask yeah yeah so I think, like, I, th- you know, they won't require everyone to wear masks once. Well, it won't be a law or anything, but I think it'll just sort of become part of yeah, culture. Yeah, hopefully. Fuck. I agree, yeah. I really don't want to have to go through this again. No. So, um, speaking of, uh, everyone always likes to clown on me for being I'm too Anglo. I'm probably first in line. Yeah, for being too Anglo. And you know what? Here's my chance to... Flip them all off. Say I win, okay? Because despite what liberal news media will tell you, Israel is not doing the best in the world of vaccination. They're not. And we'll talk about that in a second. You know who is? The United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and all her overseas dependencies. Well, not the overseas dependencies so much. Well, that's because they don't have COVID in the Falkland Islands. So, um, but yeah, so Britain has, uh, up to this point, vaccinated 15 million people. Uh, they have developed several vaccines. A lot of the good ones come from there. Um, they got the best vaccines over they here. They got, believe me, folks. Some of the best, yeah. Um, and they're just doing well, right? Like, what is it? 65 million people live in Britain, and in, like, the month since the vaccines come, came out, they vaccinated... Uh, basically a quarter of their population that's huge um and here I mean, in canada things, things as frivolous as like car racing is being reopened pretty much being planned to be fully reopened in britain for well, reference i would want to open up car racing pretty quickly if one of my car racers was a knight um i mean that is i mean this is a bit of an aside but that is more common than you would think and i think it's a very cool british thing that you will occasionally just have like some obscure like guy who's technically a lord or like has some title that you will know Helena Bonham like, Carter is a viscountess. That's I, that rules. Good for her. Yeah, but she so they will occasionally have like you know they I don't think they've had any Saudi princes do race like GT three racing, which no. is like a sort of if you are rich they are easy like they're easy to drive but expensive race cars. Mm. so you can you can hop in one and it will drive like your normal car just like it will drive like a sports car on crack not like 
a spaceship. But they will I occasionally. Think... I'll be watching some like British, ca- like telecast of a uh, of a race of like British GT or whatever, and occasionally they'll just refer to some dude as like Sir, and it's like yeah, it, it like fuck yeah, like that is the most British thing possible. Like well, we've got Sirs here too. A... Did I think but Saudi Arabia's a... first astronaut was a prince? It is a damn. Of. It is a damn shame that you know we don't get a lot of sirs in hockey because i guess it's you know not very it's not a very noble sport i mean i think auto racing and that culture comes a lot from like the from horse racing yeah and also they just like cars for nobility yeah yeah so well i but you know i think it's just very cool that they they just love having their their lords and their sirs just yeah. for a little drive with, with the pals. My goal is to one day uh, be such a good prime minister that they make me a sir like Sir Lester B. Pearson. Yeah. I mean, he he ruled. I don't even want to be prime minister to be prime minister. I just want to be, a, I just want to be knighted. But yeah, so there's a fun fact. Uh, Sultan bin Salman bin Abdulaziz Al Saud was the first Arab to fly in space, the first Muslim to fly in space, the first member of a royal family to fly in space, uh, first Saudi to fly in space. Was that the mission that the Saudis like just got the U.S. like paid the U.S. a fuck ton of money to build them a rocket? They no, that was STS fifty one G. Um, so that was a space shuttle mission. He was a payload specialist. So um, that a payload specialist in a shuttle mission means somebody who's not necessarily an astronaut, but uh, knows a lot about the specific mission, and so they sent them up right because it was really a lot very cheap to send people up in the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh that's um like they were de- de- deploying the first sort of international arab uh satellite and so they sent him up anyways irrelevant so um yeah britain is doing great on vaccines um here in canada we are just getting to oh well maybe if you're 80 you'll be able to get it in the next few weeks um and in America and in Britain, uh, like middle-aged I mean, people are getting it. I think um, it's a it's a sort of it's a symptom of not having as robust a healthcare system as Britain does. I mean, they have a sort of you know the the NHS that is their government healthcare agency. I believe everything is done through. I believe that the NHS is the best healthcare system in the world. People right, say France. Just, I disagree. It just works. You yep. just give the vaccines to the NHS and it gets in people's arms. And you don't have stories of pharmacists being fucking arrested because they had to, he had to find 10 people to give this dose of COVID vaccine to. Oh, was that in America? That was in America. There was, a, yeah. there was some, there was this pharmacist that he got arrested because he had 10 doses that were unaccounted for at the end of the day. So he decided to give a dose for himself, a dose to his wife, and then drove around making house calls for the other eight. I don't get it. Like, if you have extra doses and you're going to throw them out, then why not just use them? They're go Right? It's going to people anyway. You don't have... Yeah. It is... It's great to have a priority list, but it shouldn't be the priority list over getting it in people's arms. At the end yeah. of the day, you, those people are going to have to be vaccinated too at some point. And one thing I do appreciate, and it's it's true about Canada, um, and it's true about Britain, not true about America, 
is that, like, apart from the royal family, for the both of us, um, who in many cases are eligible because of age, um, the uh, government is only getting it. Like, the government is not a priority. They're just in the normal age brackets. Um, I think that was actually true of the royal family as well. But I, I, I think, you know, the most one of the most blackpilling things about this whole COVID thing was watching AOC get her vaccine. And it's like, you are literally 30 years old and yeah, I mean, hundreds this is, of th- we're not thousands become... of people are dying every day and you're taking a vaccine that could be used for some 90-year-old who hasn't been able to not... see kids. We're not going to be those weird, like, leftist dudes who take every given opportunity to dunk on AOC. I think the dunking on AOC genre of podcasts is, you know, something to invest in right now. Um, if you're, you know, well, it's a role that's being filled perfectly thing. fine by Red Scare, and I don't think anyone else really needs to do it. But no, I still think Jimmy it, Dore, Jimmy Dore, and Sam Sater, the two, you know, I, I swear they're just interchangeable in their f- stupid takes. Well, Jimmy but, Dore was okay. I always hesitate to criticize Jimmy Dore simply because I don't want to be thrown in with the largest crowd of I hate Jimmy Dore people. I don't hate him because he's a jackass. I hate him because he's has some stupid takes. And he's well, and really I think that I don't hate him for the them. stupid takes that everyone else thinks are stupid. I hate him. For no. Them. Yeah. Anyways, again, but irrelevant. we're not. This is not going to be a dunking on AOC podcast. But I think I'd agree with you there that like. There's no reason why the U.S. Congress needs to meet in person. You you cannot provide me with a satisfactory reason no. why they need to do it. And yeah, like somebody like, I don't know, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Nancy Pelosi or Feinstein or whoever. Your figureheads. Like, Give well, your figureheads they're old as the hell. They're old as hell. Yeah, it is a gerontocracy. And so they should get the vaccine. But younger people like Ted Cruz, well, Ted Cruz is fat, but... Like I Holly, think Ted Cruz, specifically Ted Cruz, should be excluded. Yeah, I think like Holly and AOC and, and those type of people, they just don't need the vaccine, and they're getting the vaccine, and it's just frustrating. Anyways, one final thing I want to talk about before we sign off is uh, Russia. Um, right, the Sputnik Five vaccine. Yes, the Sputnik Five vaccine. So I'm sure you remember that Russia came out with a vaccine in 2020 um and everyone was kind of clowning on them and you know all the major news networks were like it's fake it's a placebo uh and everyone was laughing i love the idea that i love the idea that you can placebo something like COVID 19 it's i fucking love that That and everyone was like oh my god putin's giving it to his daughter uh wow so evil and now it turns out that it's 91% effective and it's been 91% effective all along and it has always worked. Many people are saying this. Oops! So, oh well. Guess CNN lied. I think oh, well, it's at least, frustrating you know, there's, to me. At least there's competing vaccines or a vaccine that I believe it was Bill Gates convinced Oxford to sell the rights to AstraZeneca. Yeah, I think just um, demons, demons, demons. All the way through. I think I think it's frustrating to me. And 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 in complete fairness, uh, the Sputnik Five is not very good at decreasing transmission rates, but it is very very good um, at if you get COVID, making it not severe, 
which is also really important. You know, I, my family members who are in hospital say that honestly, at this point, they have given up on the idea of decreasing transmission rates. And what is important to them is having people not die of it. Um, so that's what it's right. You can't, you can't hurt the human capital stock. (laughs) I guess You you need the people alive. Um, and so it's just funny to me. Like, yeah, there's that. There's Bill Gates. Yeah, like selling off the vaccine. But I just think probably that... probably one of the in terms of like amount of hate they get online versus amount of uh, parody they deserve. I think Bill Gates's ratio is way out of whack. I think Jeff Bezos is probably about where we should be. Yeah. But I think like union busting and advocating for like sterilization and dropping birth rates in sub-Saharan Africa are like two very different things. I think like, yeah, you know, Jeff Bezos does like the normal amount of exploitation of the global South that you have to do for a billion. I think they both deserve to be in prison for the rest of their lives. They both, they both should be thoroughly parodied. Uh, Okay. I'm not going to go that far. They should be Chris Matthew, uh, central parked. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say that either. But I'm going to say they like, probably Bill Gates does not get nearly enough. Bill Gates does not get enough. No, he does not. Well, because he's a wholesome, cute old man. Anyways. Yeah. Um. So, I just I I think it's funny. Like I saw a thing from the editor of the Lancet, ironically enough, uh, which who are the ones who published that big anti-vax article that started the whole thing. Um, yeah. Scientific Journal. They redacted and apologized, but I thought it was ironic that it was them. And he basically spent about four minutes explaining how the Sputnik V vaccine was a wonder vaccine. It was so perfect. And then after that, he was asked if he would take it, and he said no. And it's just, it's this kind of, I mean, first of all, on-brand anti-vax shit from the, the Lancet. But second of all, it's just this kind of, like, not vaccine nationalism, but, like, Cold War politics being thrown into COVID, like... I've never heard any talk of buying Chinese vaccines despite their effectiveness. I've never heard any talk of of buying Canada or America buying Russian va- the the Sputnik V vaccine despite the fact that it's so effective and the fact that Russia has an, like a massive surplus of the vaccine. Right? Like they're selling it off to Mexico, they're selling it to to Palestine, which I'm going to get to in a second. Um it's disgusting. It's it's weird and it's just weird to me. Um, and, and, and I, I think that in, like, we criticized, perhaps rightly so, I'm not sure. Yes, we rightly criticized China in the beginning for lying about COVID numbers, for, um, trying to cover up stuff, you know, and then the vaccine got out of Wuhan into China, out of China into the world, right? Um... Despite the fact that now we know it didn't it didn't originate in Wuhan, like still that was the epicenter, um, and yet we then refuse to cooperate with other nations, too, and that's weird to me, right? And not only that, but we line up with America, who has been actively hostile to us. I think you probably remember when we bought all sorts of medical supplies. Um, from an American company, and they stopped the shipments at the border and took them. Yeah. And they did that to Germany as well, um, and I think to the UK. So it's just like, why? It, why no one is being cooperative is weird to me. And I will also say that don't ever listen to people telling you and news outlets telling you 
that Israel is doing a great job of vaccination. Because what Israel is doing, this should not come as a surprise, what Israel is doing is they're buying lots of doses by claiming they're going to administer them to the Palestinians in the Palestinian territories which they occupy, which is all of them. Um, and then they don't. They, they take their vaccines to, and they, they give them to Israelis instead of giving them to Palestinians. And so, I mean, that's been going on for a while. And Israel did that. And then they argued, oh, well, actually, we're not under any legal obligation to vaccinate the Palestinians, which is technically true, but it's disgusting. But now here's some new news. This is from Al Jazeera, which is not uh, a reliable source. In a lot they, of are, they are not, you know, I think they get held up a lot as the sort of. I mean, I don't even know who sort of holds them up as independent journalists. I think it was Americans. mostly their... Well, it was their coverage of the Arab Spring that I think led yeah. a lot of people to... Yeah, so they're, they're a reliable them. source specifically on Palestine and uh, the occupation of Palestine. Um, they are pretty pro-Turkey, which I think you have to keep in mind. But, but again, this doesn't have to do... With this, and so I was reading about how Israel is actually um, actually blocked a shipment of two thousand vaccines into Gaza. Um, I think you'll remember this type of thing has happened before with like food aid, um, as well as Israel just directly invading Gaza Strip. But um, Palestinians, there is not a single Palestinian in Palestine who has received a vaccine at this point. Uh, specifically in Gaza, um, where the Palestinian Authority struggles to vaccinate people. Um, they had acquired vaccines to, uh, Sputnik V vaccines to send to Gaza, and, uh, Israel seized them. What possible world is that acceptable? Right? Like, you can argue that Israel isn't occupying Palestine and they're under no legal obligation to vaccinate the Palestinians as a result. Okay. You're stupid and wrong, but okay. But what possible world is it justifiable to seize the vaccine purchase, vaccine shipments to another country? Like, I don't think people, like, people grasp that Israel is, like, a, a cacklingly evil country, right? But I don't think people grasp just, like, the minutia and the day-to-day -day terror and, and suffering which Israel inflicts on the Palestinian people just because they can. Like, there is nothing to this other than a show of force to the Gaza government that, oh, well, we can do this if we want to. And it's just frustrating to me how we, you know, people talk about how evil Israel is. Oh, well, you're an anti-Semite. When Israel is just about the most racist country in the West. Um, it's just weird to me. I mean, they, it's, they are... It's according to you know the the wise Dennis Prager. It is the easiest. It is the easiest conflict to explain and the hardest to solve. To quote Chairman Prager, 
but yeah, I mean, we are we are currently staring down a third wave. And can you imagine how fucking hopeless you would feel if there was an outside power that was just seizing all the Canadian vaccines and making sure that they never showed up here and that they would instead go into the arms of these other, you know, of the of the colonizers? Yeah, like imagine if America did it. Yeah. yeah. Or imagine if... Like, I, I don't know. I don't think there's really a, a similar situation here. But if there was a certain amount of local autonomy for indigenous groups and they had bought some vaccines and then we grabbed the vaccines at the gates of the reserves and said, nope, those are going to some white people in Ottawa and Montreal and Toronto. Like, that's what this is. And they might not even, I don't know. Israel hasn't purchased any of the Sputnik V vaccine. They haven't certified it. So we don't even know if they're going to use those vaccines or if they're just going to rot in storage until they expire. Which just makes this even more evil. To me. So, yeah. Uh, Israel's bad. Yeah, I'm sure uh, a lot of our listeners are intent to disagree with you, and I'm sure that this will be our most disliked episode. Um, as we said at the top of the show, uh, you you hogs get double the slop for this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, because of a clerical error. Uh, we have since sacked the intern that was responsible for this. And by um, sacked, we mean uh, uh, put we, in we punched, a labor we camp. We punched him in his balls. Um, and then we put him in the labor camp. Yeah, so he he's now uh, making infographics. Um, at, yeah. What's happening in Gaza and how you can help a thread? I mean, I I think it's just very, this is sort of an anecdote, but I think it's just very cool that there's now a generation of people that thinks that, like, signing a petition is anything but performative activism. I mean, I literally saw someone post a petition about a death row inmate and be like, yeah, guys, stop your fucking performative activism. Like, this is, this is you know you have to show that you actually care and stop your performative activism by signing this petition yeah i've seen that like like, oh stop your internet activism read this thread sign this petition it was so fucking bleak because you know everyone this is what happens when you have a bunch every single generation that you get a a queue of generations that all feel guilty over not being the ones to change things you know you get gen x guilty that they couldn't do things like stop the vietnam war you get millennials guilty that you get millennials guilty that they couldn't like you know stop the the financial collapses and then 9 11 mark yeah you get stop 9 11 if he'd be on yeah i mean put him on that plane and we live in a very different world according to him there would be a lot of blood in that cockpit and then he would have said okay let's land this thing safely that's look, what he I says. mean, he's. That's, I believe him. Look, I mean, but look, if there's anybody who's good at beating the shit out of minorities, it's Mark Wahlberg. Fucking god. <laughs> Bad joke. But you know, you get two generations with the pent up guilt of not being the ones to change everything, and then you go and dump all that guilt onto one generation, and also tell them, hey, by the way, you might not have a world when you turn fifty. Like, let's go. That's what that does. And then you throw them in this completely uncaring and immovable and impersonal economic system that, you know, with, you know, the, a gig economy that doesn't give a shit about you. And, you know, you just, 
go on to the next part-time, you know, to either temp work or contract work. You, you, there's no stable employment anymore. There's no social safety net. But, hey, look, you get to read stories on the internet of how someone who was, like, an accomplice to a murder in the 80s is now going to be executed. At and the age you get of 18. To and you get to petition the government to have them re-released, and then you get to feel like shit when they get executed anyway. Or you get or, to yeah, read stories. So that, that you get to read stories about all about political prisoners in places like Guantanamo Bay. You don't get to do anything about it because you're so far removed from any sort of power that would let you write these wrongs. But hey, you get to read, post, and podcast about it, so you get to feel oh, but- like you're doing something. Well, okay. First of all, neither of us delude ourselves to think that this podcast. Is no, this is thing. just this is just fun. This is but, fun. no. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking all, in broad strokes here. Second of all, did you hear though? President Biden said, "I'm going to close Guantanamo Bay." Well, no, no. he said he's going to start. He a said he would open. He would open an inquiry into looking at shutting down Guantanamo Bay, which is also the exact same fucking shit Obama did in 2008. Still open. So yeah, is, is I think we're about it. We're still about yeah, done. We, we ran a little long. Um, you guys get extra content, I'm sure. Depending on if you're a true Juno Beach hater, uh, in which case, respect for making it to the end of this episode. Um, yeah. And then, yes, you guys get a double episode. Uh, you can thank Malcolm for that. He will be serving his time in the... Guantanamo Bay. In, the, in, in Guantanamo Bay, making infographics for the Central Intelligence Agency. And until he returns, I've been Declan. I've been Malcolm. Thank you so much for listening.